Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat, the place to get into all things movies. We'll leave no genre untouched, from romance to horror, adventure to comedy, and everything in between. We'll cover the good, the great, the bad, and the can I please get the last two hours of my life back ones you really wish that you could forget. So grab your popcorn and soda, sit back, and relax. It's time for the Home Class Movie Chat with Cat and Paul. Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat, a place where we talk about everything movies, good movies, bad movies, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Kat and Paul, and this is a bonus episode because I was so upset about having to have you guys just end on Plan 9 from Outer Space. Because that was really bad. It was really bad. So I thought, no, here's an idea. I think we'll do a bonus uh, podcast today. This one is going to be the 1982 movie, Poltergeist. But before I actually get into that one, do you remember when I was talking to you about um, that movie that uh, from Glenn or Glenda from yeah. from Ed Wood? Yeah. Well, it was like, I think it, that was Ed Wood's first film. Yeah. Well, I actually found out that it is actually, um, and I'll read this, the film is actually a docudrama about cross-dressing and transsexuality. It's a semi-autobiographical in nature. Wood himself was a cross-dresser and the film is a plea for tolerance. Which is actually really good. And really ahead of its time for 1959. Yeah, and it says it's widely considered one of the worst films ever made. Um, <laughs> of course it was. It was an Edward film. I know, but it's like, hang on a minute. Didn't we just do the worst movie ever made? Apparently we didn't. Um, but however, it's become a cult film due to its low budget production uh, values and style. Which is, yeah, anything to do with Edward seems to be... Pretty Anything much. with Ed Wood was hideous. Yeah. It, it, so hideously bad, it's awesome. God, yeah, well, okay. So we're going to get into the 1982 version of Poltergeist. Now, I being a purist, I know they actually did a 19, actually no, 2000 movie of the Poltergeist, the same name, the remake. I don't know whether I'm actually really interested in seeing that one. I think for me, that's along the same lines of just trying to reinvent the wheel. When it comes to that, well, this is the one with Craig T. Nelson, right? Yeah, this is the this is the original one, Craig T. Nelson, and in that in the background is the dog deciding that he wants to protect defend the house against golfers. Defend the house against golfers who happen to be walking past. But yeah, this one is actually from um, with Craig T. Nelson in it from 1982. But it's actually it's directed by um, the director Toby Hooper, who, if you anyone knows um, his work, he's actually responsible for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is really interesting when you look at the fact that it was the story was by Steven Spielberg, but he does decided to give um, Toby Hooper the um, ability to direct it. So, and yes, that click 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 happens again to be Oliver coming in and coming out of the room. Yeah, I was just actually saying that that movie was um, this one by Toby Hooper was actually being um, he was actually responsible for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, which is actually, as I said, something that you actually wouldn't really credit it for him. Um, Okay, so the budget of this movie. Now, it's interesting. Steven Spielberg was allocated $10.7 million in 1982 um, for this movie. It actually grossed at the box office $121.7 million. That's a nice ROI. Uh, very nice. And I'm, I'm thinking that's probably just the North America. Um, I don't know what it would be worldwide. And I didn't know whether, and I didn't actually really look up what it was as far as um released to dvd or so back then vhs but yeah i didn't actually look at that one 
Okay, so this one has actually started, um, it was actually filmed in um, Sim Valley, which actually then they renamed it Cuesta Verde, which is uh, obviously a fictitious place. Um, we've got three characters as far as children go. We've got Carol Ann, Robbie and Diana, oh, Dana, and parents are Diane and Stephen. Now, at the end of this, mo uh, at the end of this I'll talk about some well-known facts and some really upsetting facts about this movie um, as far as the... Uh, what would what would you call it? Um, the God, I've got. I'm trying to find the word. Um, the folklore around it, as far as there's like the. Um, You're talking about the curse. Yes, thank you. The curse that that was that surrounds the movie. However, there is one woman that actually is in the movie that actually has decided. No, 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 no. It, it it's not real. But there. And before we get into it, just to note that there are spoilers here. Paul's going to go throughout the film and tell you what happened. So, spoiler alert, if yeah. you haven't seen it, you might want to do with that first. But I don't know whether anyone would have actually been sitting here right now listening to this podcast going, I've never seen Poltergeist. I will at some stage um, redo the Poltergeist, the uh, updated version. Um, but I'm not really... But in, not today. No, no and I'm not, I haven't really seen it all the way through. So I'm not really overly keen on going, oh, I better go and decide to watch it. It's like I watched the remake of uh, Fright Night last night and I will do that and the original because I still think the original is awesome. But this one, I'll watch the remake at some other time. Yeah. All right. So let's get to it. Okay. So the start of this movie, um, it just starts off with an end of transition. Uh, sorry, end of transmission. So back in the early days of TV and even <laughs> when I was, you know, a knee high to a grasshopper, at the end of the day, around about midnight, the TV would usually flash the um, national anthem. Obviously, in Australia, it would be uh, the Advance Australia Fair. In America, it would be the Star Spangled Banner. And then suddenly, the transition would the transmission would end. So, end of day... And it goes to snow. It goes to snow. That's all there is. So, in this movie, obviously, it starts off with the end of transmission, end of the day. And E-Buzz, which is their, uh, their family dog, roams the house looking for leftovers. Not really anything exciting, just watching the dog running through, well, basically walking through bedrooms, grabbing chip packets off the floor that the kids have half-eaten, and just basically seeing what's around there. Anyway, the father, like all fathers, falls asleep watching the TV. So right now, downstairs, <laughs> you've got the snow and, you know, that basically the, the end of... Noise. Yes, yeah. Thank, that, actually, I've got some back backwash on that one. Oh, thank, thank you for sharing. Honey. That was awesome. Well, I'm I'm, I'm drinking a, a Coke beverage, so just in case Coke listening. No, no neat brands. Uh, I don't know. I know, but they they can actually sponsor me. Um, I'm doing a Coke Zero, which is actually no sugar. Maybe maybe they can get. You realize we can get in trouble for that, right? No, no, no. It's an unpaid, unsolicited um, attack on Coke. <laughs> Give me. Yeah, well, if they're not paying us. We're not advertising them. <laughs> All right, I'm just having a tasty beverage then. There you go. <laughs> anyway, so um. Caroline is the little girl, obviously. Um, she's about oh, about three or four, probably about four years of age. She's laying in her bed, and she wakes up all of a sudden and just basically walks downstairs um, while the TV is displaying snow, and uh, starts screaming hello to the TV, saying she's five. There you go. There, I'd write it down. She's five. <laughs> um, and then it, there's a lots of I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Five. I don't, yep. Basically, that's very good. You know, you think people, this this podcast is not interactive. That's really interactive when it comes to that. That's I awesome. used to be really, really good at imitating her. No, that's really, that's really. Yes, that's great. But I can't do that one. <laughs> yeah, leave those to me. I'll leave that one to you. My goodness, that was terrifying. Yes, it was. Um, but it, and she wakes up the entire family. So the father's sitting there looking at her like, what the hell's going on? 
the little boy comes downstairs, the the older daughter comes downstairs, mum comes downstairs, and they're all just watching this kid just talking to Snow on the TV. So the movie cuts to um, an opening view of a housing development. Now this is where um, gets the the idea of where Questa Verde is. It's a housing new housing development. The camera is basically perched on the the hillside overlooking the whole development. Absolutely beautiful. I think something about this, as far as the cinematography goes, it really shows you the idea of like middle America, where um, it shows you people washing the car and people, you know, playing outside or people sitting there or standing there talking to their neighbors. It gives you an overview of just how wonderful life is in Cuesta Verde. Obviously, we know... You know, that's that's the way it was back then, where people weren't afraid to lock their front doors. I remember those days. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't, I, I can't remember those days, because obviously, growing up, we had to lock our front door, but that's the way it was. So now, now this is where, oh my God, I want to kill these kids. Okay? <laughs> no, these little, these little shits, I'm sorry to say that, but they are little shits. You, you cut to a middle-aged man, and he's riding a BMX bike, carrying a case of beer. Now, first of all... Why is he carrying a case of beer and why is he riding a BMX bike? Probably because he drunk drove and had his license taken away. Funny enough, that's enough, I've heard that more often than not, the people have sat there and gone, oh, drink driving, there's an idea for drink driving. You, But so now he's carrying a, a case of beer, obviously from so his now home. now he's drunk, drunk riding. No, he's actually carrying a, um, a, like a case of beer from his home. Obviously, he's gone to his house to grab some case of beer because he's going to his friend's house. Okay. So, of course, the as he rides past, these two little shits are sitting there with the RC cars and decide that they... <laughs> the, RC, the what? Remote control cars, oh, RC right. cars. And they decide they're going to chase him down. So, you see the kids on either side of the bike. So, he's riding and he, he, he sees one car go past him and then the other car goes past him on the other side and then they cross directly in front of him thereby him falling off the bike and throwing his beer. I reckon he loses at least 12 to 14 cans of beer. On the, he only picks cans up... Cans or bottles? Cans. He only picks up like six cans. And those six cans, out of those six cans, like one is spraying beer into the air. So he's racing into his friend's house with these spraying six cans of beer. So anyway, he, 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 ends, he enters the, the house, which happens to be um, Stephen's house. So he's a friend of his. And they're all going to watch a, a football match. That's actually on on the yeah. TV, which is fine. So they're watching the football. <laughs> they're all watching the football match, and suddenly the TV changes to Mister Rogers, <laughs> and everyone's sitting there going, "What? What's going on? What's going on?" Apparently, the next door neighbor had a TV that's actually on the same remote as Stevens is. So basically, as you go along, and like they changed it to football, they change it back to Mister Rogers because, as you said, my kids want to see Mister Rogers. They don't want to see a football match, but but this whole thing is going on. So they're doing the basically. So basically, each house is trying to put it on what they want to watch, and it's on yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, um, and they ended up by doing the frequency wars, which is okay. basically they, you know, Stephen will click towards their house and change it to football. They'll click the back and they'll go to Mister Rogers. So it's basically a back and forth, you know, tater tate. Without anybody realizing, they can just stand up and actually walk over to the TV and change the channel. Yeah, but that but remember. Remember when um, remote controls first came in? See, when I was growing up, I'm sure you were too. I don't actually know you, whether you were. I was the remote control changer. My father, I'd sit on the couch with Dad and he'd be sitting there going, okay, now we only had four channels here in Australia. Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, and Channel 2, right? So if Dad didn't want to see something on Channel 10... He'd tap you and say, go do it. Yeah, go, go, so I'd get up and have to go and do it. And then I'd stand there. I, I, got, I got wise to this. I actually would stand at the TV waiting for him to say yes or no, whether I can walk back and sit down. So when remote controls came in, wow, that was the big thing. 
So anyway, from there we go upstairs and mum happens to be cleaning the kids' bedroom like all mums do and notices that their little, in, in Carol Ann and Robbie's room, um, Tweety, the little bird, isn't chirping. And of course, the bird's dead. Aww, I, it, chirping. I, I, I know, no, it's Tweety. Oh, Tweety. Tweety. Tweety, Tweety bird? Tweety, because he, he, he's yellow. He's a yellow canary. So they called it Tweety, which makes you know, a lot of sense because Tweety being Tweety. Did he twatty twat a Tweety twat? <laughs> he probably did Tweety. He probably did Tweety twat a Putty tat. <laughs> I tore it to a Putty tat. But so mum decides, um, you know, this is as far as I'm concerned, great parent. She decides instead of, uh, well, what's the best way to dispose of a dead bird? Flush him. Yep, she did. She tried to anyway. But Carol Ann walks in and goes, <gasps> what are you doing? <laughs> You're flushing, but you're flushing Tweety down the toilet. Broad Tweety. And so mum's like, oh, God. All right. So they decide to bury the bird. That's when you stick it in a shoebox and bury it in the backyard. It sounds like you've actually seen this movie because that's what they did. They actually got a cigar box. No, I've lived that life. Oh, okay. So they got a cigar box. And in the cigar box, um, Carol Ann puts a um, a red vine in there because when he's hungry, um, when he's lonely, she put a photograph of, of her and Tweety and the dog in there. And when it's cold, obviously she puts something for the for the bird something to be fluffy. Something fluffy so the bird's nice and warm. So they bury the they bury the bird, and then what does Caroline say? Can I get a goldfish now? <laughs> it's like you know we we've had the the upset, and now we've got to get another animal. So okay, so we go from that. That's fine. Oh, the fastest way to get over one is to get another one. Yeah, of course. But then as they're burying this thing, the once again Robbie, this little. This kid will come into play so many times where he's just so annoying. He's climbing this rather ugly looking tree out the front, in the backyard and notice that, that there's a storm approaching and says to my mum, there's a storm approaching. Of course, mum's sitting there going, he get... He said storm approaching? Yes. Not mom, coming. No, there's a storm approaching. Kids that age do not use the word approaching. Yeah, well, apparently this is, was written into the script that he was saying storm approaching. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, the, the, this scary tree outside the kids' rooms... Um, Robbie doesn't really like the look of this tree. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to either. It, there's no foliage on the tree. It just looks like a dead piece of tree. Just there. Well, maybe it's winter. Well, no. No, because the kids are wearing like um, T-shirts. And... It's California. Yeah, I know. but well, yeah, It but... doesn't get that cold there in the winter. Okay, but I mean, I'm just saying that this tree looks really menacing and horrible. There's no foliage. It's not green. It's just like it is dead. I mean, if it's you... a horror movie, of course they have to have a scary tree outside the kid's bedroom. Well, I mean, this, come on. Well, this is it. Well, exactly. And they've done this very, very well because this really is a scary looking tree that they've decided to, to have. So anyway, being the fact that there's a scary looking tree, there's another added twist to this. On the chair, facing the kids, or facing more more like Robbie, is this scary-ass clown. Now, I understand that kids have, you know, toys in their room and everything, but this clown is rather menacing-looking. And I don't know what this mother is thinking. Just leaves it staring directly at Robbie. Can't sleep, clown will eat me. Can't yeah. sleep, clown will eat me. Can't sleep, clown will eat me. Oh, you can take over this podcast right now while I'm actually having a beverage, because that's actually really, really good. <laughs> Does it look that like crusty? No, it doesn't look. Uh, no, it doesn't look like crusty at all. I mean, that's <laughs> that's terrifying. That's actually really good. Actually, See, this is why we have her on the podcast, just to add some excitement to the podcast. <laughs> so he decides, you know, of course, mum mum goes to turn off the light and has to turn on the closet light because there's the closet monster. Can't eat. Clown will eat me. Can't, Can't eat. eat Clown will eat me. 
Oh my god! Can't eat clownily at me. Oh, I think maybe she'll be actually spending the rest of the time away from the podcast. Can't eat clown or sleep me. Probably that's probably what it'll be. Ah, <laughs> oh, this podcast has gone. What is it? What are we into now? Fifteen minutes and it's already gone off the rails. We'll just keep on. Uh, meanwhile, on another planet. So anyway, so Robbie decides that he doesn't want this clown to be looking at him or that that uh, that like that. So he decides to go and get um a jacket that happens to have Chewbacca from Star Wars. A Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Well, I always said Chewbacca because we're Australian, so Chewbacca, Chewbacca, whatever it is. Yeah, well, it's like again. tomato, tomato. It doesn't yeah. matter. But anyway, he just. I'm sure Chewbacca would not. Have, he probably wouldn't approve. His name mispronounced. That's that's true. But anyway, he decides that uh, instead of looking at this clown, he'll throw the jacket over <laughs> the clown. Which now, when you look at it, there's Chewbacca looking at him, which is not scary at all when you when it's a dark room. But anyway, that's fine. So we'll decide to go for a bit of a wander into Mum and Dad's room. And the parents of the year, I will give these two the parents of the year because all the kids are uh, are in the house, and Mum and Dad are smoking pot. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's the see that dead air of like sitting there. It's it's yeah. Mum's smoking pot, having a great old time while Dad's reading um, Ronald Reagan, the Man, the Presidency, while the TV's on, mind you, and they're watching actually a remake of Always, the original Always. The one with John Goodman and um. Yeah, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, but this the, and Holly Hunter. Yeah, but they were actually watching the original, not the remake. I didn't know they made a remake. No, there was a, no. They did. They did. There was a remake of Always. Why? I don't know. Apparently, they needed a remake. So the mm. everyone that knows, you know, always it was actually done previously to that. So yeah. there's you know, another one that you didn't know of. If you happen to go and look well, for the that one, Holly Hunter, John Goodman, and Richard Dreyfuss is awesome. Yeah, I, that's I, a very good movie. I love that movie. That's really great. It really shows you a very wide scope of of just how good he is as, as an actor, Richard Dreyfuss. Oh. Richard Dreyfuss in yeah, but so they were watching that, and of course, Mum's smoking pot, and they're all. Freaking out and having a great time in the bedroom. And, of course, Robbie comes into Mum and Dad's room while Mum and Dad are smoking pot and you know, doing whatever. And he just says that the storm's approaching and he doesn't like the tree. So the father, he does a uh, counting game with Robbie. So, basically, whenever you hear the thunder, then you count to see how long it is until you see the lightning. And then, of course, when that happens, then you can, you can get the idea that, oh, it's this far away or how long it, it is until it, it arrives. So, well, that, you know, that's a, that's a real thing, that if you go like one hippopotamus, two hippopotamus, three hippopotamus, it actually will tell you how many um, Hippop- miles. How many hippopotamuses will be there? How many hippopotamuses equal how many miles? Really? Yeah. So it, it, basically it's a mile a second. Yeah, but I would have just thought, because because uh, he was doing one, one thousand, two, one thousand, yeah. three, one thousand, and then it's, it's like yeah. it would, would rumble. Yeah. And they'd be like, okay, and then, then once he would it would rumble... He'd wait to see the lightning, and then he'd be. Oh no! The lightning comes the first, lightning would, and then you hear the thunder. Then, then you hear the, run, yeah. the the thunder. Yeah. And then after that, he would count. But you count, and that'll tell you how many miles away the oh, okay. the lightning is. Right. So that's yeah. yeah. Okay. So that actually makes sense. So anyway, he but just. Never, but if you, you can't just go one two because you don't space them out enough. So one one thousand two, two one thousand three one thousand then <laughs> then rumble. Yeah. And then he'd be like, oh okay, and then he'd be, and he and so he was it's saying three that miles away. Yeah, but if he he can count higher. Yeah. Each time, then, then it's further away. It's further away. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. So anyway, the counting game obviously doesn't work because what happens? All the kids minus the older daughter end up in mum and dad's bedroom. This is once again the end of day transmission. Snow, we're going along. 
And again, Caroline wakes up for some strange reason because you hear this little, it's not like a jingle. It's almost like a high-pitched, she's not even really a high-pitched squeal. It's like this, this I don't know what, you'd have to watch it to, find, to work it out. But it's, it's some indication that something's going on because Caroline just wakes up. And she goes towards the TV again and puts her hand this time on the TV and, well, goes towards to put her hand on the TV and this hand comes out of the TV. And basically starts to to envelope her, or you know, in, sorry, in envelope, in, envelop her, and then of course shoots towards the wall, uh, with this huge explosion. And basically, people they're all thinking that there is a um, an earthquake that's going on because the whole place is rumbling and, and and rocking away. And what does Caroline do? She looks towards them and says, "They're, they're here." They're here. That's exactly right. So this is the beginning of it, and of course. This is the beginning of what's going to go throughout the movie. So, <laughs> this is another thing as far as I'm concerned, parents of the year. Okay? This is a really interesting, uh, really interesting scene. And I was actually troubled by this when you actually watch it. So, they decide, um, well, they, the family are going to have a, a pool dug, right? So, the, so the workers arrive to start commencing of digging of the pool. And the older daughter leaves for, for school. And as she's walking towards getting her, her bike... The workmen are basically saying, I love you and this and that and baby come here. And of course she does the flips the bird at them. Mum watches this and basically smiles and giggles as if to say, it's okay for you sexually harass my daughter. It's no problems at all. Dad's dead still at, at home, you know, tying his tie, getting ready. The workmen are doing the old, oh baby, give it to me, this, that and the other. And mum just sits here and goes, oh, isn't that precious? They're just making well, this fun. Was, what year was this movie? 1982 yeah that and unfortunately rape culture was very much a prevalent part of american culture back in those days because it was acceptable you just expected that if you walk past a construction site they're going to wolf whistle you and make lewd comments and it was just part of oh well that just means that i'm an attractive woman and you should just take that as a compliment so you think women back in the 80s was that was actually complimentary to them to be wolf no it out? wasn't it wasn't then it isn't now i had it happen to me back in those days and hated every second of it but it was, it's very equivalent to in grammar school when a boy sitting in back of you pulls your braid oh, or flips your bra. Oh, he just likes you. And it basically is reinforcing that idea that it's okay to, to objectify and abuse women because it's just being playful and teasing and flirty and it's, it's so, harmless. It's harmless. So you think this mother basically watching her daughter getting sexually um, harassed thinks it's completely okay, it's a normal situation for her, because this is in, this is remember, this is not on the street, this is in her own, own yeah, home. Yeah, I know. And She's there, employed these nothing, idiots. There's nothing acceptable about it, but unfortunately the filmmakers chose to endorse that. Yeah, I mean, when I first watched this... So shame on you, Steven Spielberg, for that one. Well, I mean, when I first watched this in, you know, when I was a lot younger, it was basically, it didn't, it didn't register to me, because it was just, I, I didn't register it as being something really bad. But now, at the age that I am now, and seeing the equality that we've got within the world and equality with women and things like that, um, I, I just found that really distasteful. That you know, yep. dad's home, mum's watching her daughter getting sexually harassed, and okay, she flips the bird off at these guys, and they they continue. Mm -hmm. they, it wasn't like they sit there and go, oh, "We shouldn't have done that." They basically just went, "Oh," and they just kept going. Yeah. She watched him. She watched her daughter 
flipped the bird to these guys and then just decided, oh, they're just having a bit of fun. I wonder what would have happened if, if one of these guys had have turned around and raped her. I mean, would it have still been fun? It's, it's, it's something... Uh, okay, that, okay, moving on. I know we're moving on, but there's just something that was really interesting in this movie that I found. Okay. So anyway, we go to... Uh, Mum decides that obviously after breakfast we're going to clean the table. And um, <laughs> she, she basically leaves for a moment and comes back and all the chairs are pulled out from the, from the, from the table. That's weird. Well, she basically, you know, thinks, okay, as as all parents do, bloody kids, they can't pull their, the, push their <laughs> bloody chairs in. So anyway, um, so she's standing there looking at this, and of course, Carol Ann comes up from behind her and scares the living bejesus out of her. Pardon me. And she goes, um, did you do this? And she goes, uh-uh. And she goes, oh, would you kids please push your chairs in? So anyway, pushes all the chairs in, walks away to just get some cleaning, you know, equipment to clean the, the, the table, turns back. And all the chairs are stacked up on the table. <gasps> I know. And there's no way in hell that Caroline could do that. No. In the space of time, it would have, it was like three seconds. Like one, two, three, done. And yeah. all the chairs are stacked up. And of course... Actually physically on the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And some of, the, some of the legs are actually hovering off the table. So, you know, you've got, say, you've got a four-legged chair. Two are on the table. Two are off the table. And of course... What That's are, creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because mum says to Caroline, uh, TV people... And Caroline goes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. And she goes, do you see them? And she goes, uh-uh. And then Caroline looks at mum and goes, do you? <laughs> and she goes, uh-uh. And of course, they're like, okay, fair enough. Um, and we cut to Stephen, um, the father. Now, the father is actually a, um, develop- a, a land developer. He actually does um, a lot of the stuff in Quest of Verde. So he actually is um, a high-ranking salesman for the um, all the development. So he's selling a house basically identical to the one that he's living in. So that's that's neither here nor there. But Stephen arrives home and Diana is just out of her mind. She's so excited because something's happening inside their something is happening inside their home. More than likely, it's happening inside the kitchen. And what's happened is that she's drawn um, two circles, probably about four feet apart. Mm, yeah, about maybe three, a little farther. Yeah. Four or five feet apart. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. And she says to Stephen, um, now just, you know, he's, of course, now this is another thing. It's nighttime. He's wearing sunglasses. I mean, when, you, when you're cool, you got to wear sun, sunglasses 24 hours a day. And he's looking cool as he's walking in from work. But he's wearing sunglasses. She takes the sunglasses off. I know it's a minor thing, but you've got to think to yourself, this is just ridiculous. But anyway, takes the sunglasses off and she puts... Hey, it could be worse. It could be Edward. Oh, it could. Yeah, we could be talking playing 10 from outer space. Mm-hmm. Who knows about that one? But anyway, puts a chair in this uh, in this circle, and the chair moves by itself from one circle to the other, and she goes just absolutely burko and so excited about the fact that oh my god, it worked! And of course, Caroline walks in, and Mum goes, <laughs> Mum goes to to Caroline, here, sit in this circle, and she is pulled from one circle to the other, and of course, she goes, oh, Mum, that hurt, and she goes, oh yeah, sorry, I've got to, I've got to put more wax on the on the ground. <laughs> You've just yeah, let's just have the aliens uh, slide our kid around. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. You've just burnt your your child's butt across this uh, this tiled floor, and then says, "Oh yeah, I should have actually done a little bit more wax." God sakes. So anyway, that's fine. Oh, but actually, it's really nice because she actually puts a football helmet on Caroline. Oh, it's nice. We are concerned about the child safety. Yeah. So you're sitting there, you're burning the kid's butt, but the helmet helmet will work. So anyway, she slides some distance. Um, once again, great parenting, as far as I'm concerned. 
That was fine. So anyway, we cut to both Steve and Diana going to the next door neighbor to ask if ha- if he's had any experiences. And he goes, well, what do you mean by experience? He goes, well, any disturbances? And he goes, well, what do you mean by disturbances? He goes, well, and of course, Stephen goes, uh, Stephen, sorry, Diana, my wife and I are actually experiencing some things going on next door to our house or inside our house. Of course, most parents would sit, uh, sorry, most um, neighbors would sit there and go, yeah, you can keep that. We're not interested in that. <laughs> you just keep that. Anyway, it, it comes with a mm, no idea. Just keep smoking what you're smoking. Just keep going. That's fine. So anyway, we cut and another, a large storm is starting to approach the, the another house. Another one? Yeah, for some reason, there's a lot of storms that are coming over this house. Um, this time, the scary tree, because remember, we got one. It actually explodes through the bedroom, <laughs> killed the kid's bedroom window and attacks Robbie. Starts to it actually grabs him and starts to eat him. The tree starts to eat. The tree him. starts to eat Robbie, and of course, mum and dad have run into the bedroom and see that Robbie's been pulled out through the window by this killer tree and goes out to try and save him, which is fine because inside the um, children's uh, closet, a very, very, very bright light comes on, and things start to get sucked into. The closet. Including the creepy ass clown? The creepy ass clown doesn't go in the closet right now. Things like no things like the um uh the dresser drawers, the tables, the bed, that all gets sucked in. Um and of course Carol Ann, who put this poor old kid put this poor little kid, she's actually in the bed. Robbie's been pulled out through the window with this killer tree. She's laying in bed watching this all happening and then looks over to her closet and there's a huge bright light and things are getting sucked in towards the um closet. And she starts to get sucked in towards the closet. So she's holding on for dear life to try and stop her, herself. And, of course, she slips. She goes into the closet and everything stops. And so, of course, Diana and Stephen comes running up up to, to aid Carol Ann. And there's all debris in the closet. And then they see this cover. And it looks like a child's about as big as, as Carol Ann would be. And they pull it off. There's this, the creepy-ass clown sitting ah. there. So suddenly, Carol Ann has completely and utterly disappeared out of the... Well, they've got no idea where she is. Meanwhile, have they done anything to try and get the kid out of the tree? Uh, yeah, well, they managed to grab the, the kid out of the tree, and then it, it they worked out that um, it was actually a tornado that just grazed the house ah. because the tree was sucked up into the tornado. And just sucked him up too. No, no. Luckily, he was actually pulled out of the tree before he was sucked yeah, up. Yeah, but have they explained how he got into the tree? Uh, no. They just figured out that the the tree attacked the... So, they, I mean, I guess they figure that as the tornado came through, it pulled the tree into the room, and for some way it pulled Robbie out through the window, and yeah. Yeah, because so that makes sense. Well, it does. Yeah, I got... Yeah, anyway. So, anyway, she figures that, you know, um, okay, well, where, where's Caroline? We don't know where she is. They go through all the... Now, I just want to say, just as a side note, this kid, Robbie, I'd love to bitch slap because he is so annoying. I know he's eight years of age, but for God's sakes. So they're searching through the house trying to find Carol Ann and Robbie goes into um, his mum and dad's bedroom and the TV's on, in once again in snow, and starts to hear um, Carol Ann's voice coming from the TV. And basically goes, mum, 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 mum. And this is just continuous. And the parents walk in. It's like, what? What is going on? And they hear Carol Ann coming through the TV. Well, mum looks towards the TV and sees Carol Ann, you know, voice coming from the TV. Goes, okay, fair she enough. saw her voice? Well, you know, can hear her voice coming through the TV. So I was like, okay. 
So we cut and Stephen, now most women, and you know, as far as I'm concerned, they would actually go to find some help. Stephen actually goes to find some help at a local university into the parapsychology department and basically says, we need some help. <laughs> my, my, my child's disappeared in the house. We can't find her. My child's been sucked into the television. Yeah, or, or she disappeared. We can't find her, but she's, we can, oh, hear, we can her hear her through the TV. Through the, I think Channel 4 is actually a great, TV, <laughs> a great general to pick it up. So anyway, the team arrive and start an investigation. They look through the t- through the children's you know area and can't find it. And they go through the rooms and they can't. Find it. But they go up to the child's bedroom and, uh, of course, Stephen goes, "Yeah, we keep this room closed." And she goes, and of course, the lead investigator goes, "Well, open it." And she open he opens it up, and the stuff that's going on in that room from um, books flying at people to um, what have we got? The Hulk on a on uh, like a toy horse, and you got a protractor that happens to be playing a record inside the room. Yeah, the whole lot of stuff going on. So of course the team decides to they decide to stay late because they're trying to work out whether it is a real haunting or not. Um, and the, one of the best actually uh, parts of this movie is they're sitting at the dining room table, and uh, the lead investigator, the lady, goes, "Well, <clears throat> I'm really not sure." whether your house is haunted or not. And from one side of the table to the other side of the table, the coffee pot just moves by itself. And she goes, um, well, um, what I meant to say was, I'm really not sure that whether it is a classic haunting or because they said, how long have you been investigating haunted houses? And they're like, well, haunted houses usually surround just the building. They don't usually surround a person. But now because Carol Ann's disappeared, we're thinking it's more like a poltergeist rather than, and of course, everything else is going on in, in the house. So the team decided to stay late and they turn on the downstairs TV and they decide to call to Carol Ann and she responds. Carol Ann tells her that someone is there with her. She says she's afraid of the, the light and she says, just and of course, the lead investigator, she says, stay away from the light. Don't go anywhere, anywhere near it. And then all of a sudden there's an explosion over, over the people in the living room and jewelry just falls out of the, out of the, the roof. But it's ceiling. out of the ceiling. I say roof. I know what I'm talking the about. The roof is what is on top of the house. The ceiling is what is in the top of the room. Okay, so it falls from the ceiling. Thank you. Not from the roof. Um, but it's it's jewelry that has that varies in um, years, from a few years old to a hundred years old. So they're trying to make sense of that. So anyway, that's fine. And then, of course, um, there's a banging that's heard throughout the house, but it actually moves all the way into the kids or goes up. You can hear it banging through the house and it basically lands upstairs. So Diana decides that she wants to approach the stairs because she can hear this banging going on and there's this enormous wind. And Diana says that Carol Ann actually moved through her. And says to the investigator, "Smell my clothes. It's her. I can smell her." Then, of course, there's a there's a larger explosion that goes through the the room, followed by an enormous growl, and it actually ends up to be something more sinister that's actually in the room with them. Because one of the investigators goes upstairs to check on on what's going on, and runs back down and goes, "Something took a a bite out of me." And of course, Robbie goes, "You got bit?" And he goes, "Yeah. Either that or the worst muscle spasm in the world." And lifts up his shirt and it looks like a lion or tiger or an enormous animal has actually taken a bite out of him. 
And of course, the, the female investigator goes, yep, we'll be sleeping downstairs tonight, I think. <laughs> of course, Stephen goes, as, as most dads do, all right, I want everyone out of this house. No one is staying in this house tonight. And of course, mum says, no, I'm not leaving without without Carol Ann. I'm not going to just pack up and go. She says, he says, I'll go, you know, go to a motel and I'll stay here. What, what are you going to do, Stephen? I mean, seriously. What is it that you think you're going to do? I mean, it, nobody's going to stay in the house? It's a dad thing. I know it's a dad thing, but, you know, seriously, you're going to leave your child alone in the TV? <laughs> at least at least unplug the TV and take it with you. Don't leave the TV in the, in the house. So anyway, the team decided to stay the night, and the, shift, the night shift starts. And uh, one of the team... Now, oh my God, I've got to ask you this, okay? So at 2 o'clock in the morning... This person decides, now he's just a guest in, in these people's homes and he's, he's doing this. He says to the other guy, because there's, there's two guys and a lady who's investigating. And he basically says to the other guy, I'm going to go get something to eat in someone's home. And he goes inside and he decides to pull a snack out for himself, a T-bone steak. <laughs> now he's going to cook a T-bone steak on the world's smallest pan at two o'clock in the morning. At two o'clock in the morning, it's going to stink up the place. It's going to smell the place. But he decides that no, I'm going to cook a T-bone steak. Okay. Like really? Like you're just going to help yourself? Yeah, help yourself, dude, to a T-bone steak. Yep. I don't think at two o'clock in the morning anyone wants to he- smell your peanut butter sandwich. I could see. Yeah, because he he'd like he'd scarfed a whole um, bag of potato chips. And then he decides, I'm going to go get something to eat. I'm going to go and cook myself. I mean, I don't think I don't think Diana or Stephen said, help yourself to a smorgasbord. And here, here's a T-bone steak we bought for the family, but you can snack on it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It's like... I mean, if they said, you know, I could, I could say, you know, help yourself. If you get hungry, there's the kitchen. And I could see making a peanut butter sandwich or something. But yeah. But he decides to stink up the place steak. with okay. a T-bone steak. So I was like, yeah, radio. So anyway, he decides to stink up the house, but he doesn't get get far to actually cook it because suddenly the T-bone steak starts moving by itself. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got the he's got a um he's got a flashlight and he's watching this T-bone steak crawling across the counter. Okay, that's creepy. Yeah. Well, it, what becomes even more creepy is that this thing like starts to maggotize. There's maggots coming out of this Ew! T-bone steak, right? Now he's already snacked on a um, a drumstick because he grabbed a drumstick when he was picking up the chicken, uh, the picking the um, T-bone steak out of the fridge. So he basically spits the, the drumstick out and goes, "Oh my god!" And he goes into the bathroom to throw up because you know this is what you do. And he sees a little growth on the side of his face. Spoiler alert: There's some disgusting stuff happening right now. He basically picks his face apart. Ah! Yeah, yeah. There is blood dri- dripping into the into the um, sink. There's pus. There's bits no. of. Oh, I'm being. Yes, I'm being graphic. Yes, I know. But anyway, the light above the um, in the in the bathroom goes extremely bright, and then whammo, he's back to normal. So I think that was the the poltergeist basically giving him the what's for, not only to don't grab the T-bone steak, but um, another idea of like well. Other than grabbing the T-bone steak, buddy, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna mess around with you a little bit. So he he basically walks out backwards out of the kitchen, and uh, he basically walks towards the um, where the other guy is, and the cameras that they've got facing the room basically starts to mechanically move it themselves to face the the um, the stairs, and all these lights start coming out of the out of the um, the children's bedroom. On playback, it's actually all these ghosts that are coming out and walking down the stairs. So, you know, they've got no idea what's going on. 
So then they decide that, okay, we really can't do much for you right now. So we're going to hire this woman by the name of Tangia. And Tangia is a psychic medium that's brought in by the team to help because they are way over their head. They can't actually, yeah, they can't do anything to help this family. Um, but of course, before this, Steve's boss arrives and asks, why has missed so much, uh, so much work? Because he has, he's missed so much work with everything that's going on. And you can't sit there and go, well, my daughter's been sucked in the TV. And my house is being haunted. Yeah, my house is being haunted, sucked in the TV, so I can't come to work while while we're trying to find where our daughter is. So he basically says, well, you know, um, there's a whole lot of video equipment, you know, in, in your house. Are you doing something on the side? Because Steve's one of the top, you know, um, developers, and he's one of the top salesmen in this development team. And they're terrified, or he's terrified that, hang on a minute, is he actually going to be doing something else? Is he... Um, you know, going to be branching into somewhere else where someone else is going to be hiring him. So he goes, well, Steve, you know, do you want to come and take a ride with me? So, okay, he takes, her, takes a ride with him. And he goes and takes him to a piece of land that's overlooking the valley. And it really is. This is a, a beautiful piece of, piece of cinematography because it shows you um, the entire development from, you know, from the top of a hill. And as he goes through... He's got this, um, like this landmarker, and he puts the landmarker into the ground. And he goes, "What do you think about that for a front window?" And he goes, "Oh, what?" And he goes, "Well, this could be your front window as far as your bedroom. Um, to the left can be your, you know, your your dining room. The right side can be your um, your living room." And of course, um, Steve turns around and looks at this picketed fence area and goes, "Yeah, not much room for a pool." And it just so happens to be backing onto a cemetery. And he goes, well, yeah, we're, we've, we're already in plans to relocate the cemetery. And Stephen goes, what? And he goes, yeah. He said, we're relocating the cemetery. We've already done it once before. Um, what's the what's the problem? And he goes, well, that's sacrilegious. You can't just move dead people. You can't leave. And he goes, no, no. He said, we'll be fine. We've actually organized it to move them a, a couple, two or three miles down the road so the loved ones can visit them there. And he goes, what's the problem? We've done it before. And he goes, oh, well, I guess it's all right then, but... There's a bit of foreshadowing there. It's like he, this guy's moving dead people out of their eternal resting place. So he's going to go, okay, fair enough. Somehow right. I don't think the dead people would like that. Yeah, but, you know, he's... Dun, dun, dun. Well, yeah, I mean, relocating a cemetery. And this cemetery is not a small one. It's rather big. I mean, from where the... Um, yeah, but why should they get the view? Well, I know, but that's your that's your eternal resting, resting I know, place. I know, but that's, that's their ideas. Well, why should dead people have the view? They're not using it. Yeah, so it's like, oh, well, we'll just decide to relocate you people and yeah. we'll get the land. Exactly. Well, it works. Well, Stephen... Capitalism at its finest. <laughs> Is it Reaganomics? Yeah. Yeah, Reaganomics back in the 80s. Yeah. yeah, so obviously it was like, yeah, everyone's for themselves. Okay. So anyway, Tangier claims that... Um, Carol Ann is alive and well, and she's inside... Well, not alive and well. I wouldn't say that. At least alive. She's actually alive, at least, and she's inside the house somewhere. However, she says there is something in there with her. Um, something that keeps Caroline very close to it and won't allow it to go anywhere away from it. And she says to a child, she, Caroline just thinks it's another child. But to everyone else, it is actually the beast. And that's what keeps um, uh, Caroline very close to it. The beast as in the devil. It's never really told whether it's the devil. It's just... Or some kind of... It's just, I mean, it's obviously demon. some sort of demonic yeah. demon. But they just, she says, it's the beast. Now, I looked up to see what it was, and there's no clear definition of whether it is a demonic 
Yeah, but usually when they refer to the beast, they are referring to the devil. Yeah, but this one is basically, she just says it's the beast, so I don't know which one it is. So, um, But she, she says it keeps it very close to it, and after speaking from Tangier, they decide, they decide they're going to approach the bedroom. And, of course, um, they go into the bedroom, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Lights are flying everywhere, and Tangier has um, basically tied a rope or got, got Stephen to tie a rope around Diana's uh, waist. Because originally, um, Tangia says, well, I'm going to go in and get your daughter. And, of course, Diana goes, she's not going to come to you. And she goes, well, you've never done this before. And she goes, well, neither have you. And Tangia goes, yeah, that's a good idea. You you better go and get <laughs> your daughter. Point. Yeah, good point. I've never done this. So. so, now remember, the other lady had been had said, do not approach the light. And Tangia had said the same thing. Stay away from the light. Don't don't go anywhere near the light. There's something bad about that light. So, Diana wraps herself around with this with the rope, goes into the light, and Stephen's holding on, and the rope's getting further and further away. And as she's she's doing it, um, Tangier goes, "Everyone is welcome." You know, basically cross over. And Stephen's like, "No, no, no, no! You're not supposed to. No, no don't. You're not supposed to cross them over. You, that you said it was dangerous." And starts pulling on the rope. Of course, as she's as he's pulling on the rope. Tangier is like saying, no, 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 Stephen, not now, not now. And then this enormous, what I would consider to be a beast, comes out from the um, the, the room, where, well, the, from the closet, from where they, they are, and basically knocks them back. And, of course, the other end of the rope happens to be coming down from the ceiling into the living room. And the way it goes, um, Diana is holding Carol Ann, and they come through the through the ceiling and land on the ground, Everything is fine. She's actually managed to get a hold of um, of her daughter. Of course, Tangia says the house is clean, which <laughs> uh, somehow I we, don't think it is. We we thought it was clean, and she had said, "Oh, it's clean." Now, if I was actually asking, if she'd actually asked for money, I'd get my money back from this woman <laughs> because I'd be sitting there going, "Yeah, no." So anyway, the family decides that that's it. We're moving out of the house. It's it's done. However, Diana. Or Diane decides that um, later that night she decides to take a bath. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to ask you something seriously. If our house is possessed or demonically infested and all this crap's gone on and you've experienced this, mm-hmm. if I said to you we are moving out today, are you going to sit there and say, well, I'm going to have a quick bath before I go? I'd be like, where's the hotel key? I'm I'm there already. Yeah. So Stephen decides that he wants to go to the office to, to wind up some things and Diana goes decides to, to go and have a bath. Where is the one place that you do not put your children after all this crap's happened? Back in the same bedroom? Back in the same bedroom you go. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. You've got no... Other than two beds, you've got no other stuff in the ha- in the, in the bedroom. Oh, I sucked into the closet. Yeah. So, no, there's debris and shit, but they've, they've packed all, all that up. And, of course, Diane decides she goes in the, into, the, into the bath. And the poor kids, they're in the bath, they're in the um, bedroom. In the bedroom, and they start falling asleep. Robbie's attacked by the killer um, clown. That makes its a guest appearance and starts to attack Robbie and pulls him underneath the bed. And as he's being attacked, guess what comes out? The bright light comes out again from the closet. Here we go again. And of course, Caroline goes, not again, or not anymore, something like that. But, you know, n- not again. We're not going to go through this again. Um, of course, you know, Diane goes through a whole lot of stuff. She, you know, is is totally oblivious to what's going on. This whole thing is is going 
just going absolutely burko. Stephen arrives back home and the house is basically... Yeah, as soon as I got that kid back, man, we'd be out of that house. I know, but he's sitting... You know, like, he's gone to work for a bit. Why She's are having... people in these movies so stupid? I don't know. They they, they lost the, their sense of brains in, in... I don't know where they lost it because it's like, hang on a minute, you've just... You've done all this. The house is falling apart. You've seen your, your child you being sucked into a TV or sucked into a, into a another dimension. You've got her back. You decide you want to go to work, and your wife decides she's going to have a bath. I know. Like really? really? So anyway, Stephen arrives back home. The entire house has fallen apart, but he's actually driven by his boss. And as he's being, you know, as the boss is sitting there watching this, Stephen turns around and says to him. I remember that you said to me that you did this once before and you actually only moved the headstones. You never moved the bodies. The bodies were actually... Where Cuesta Verde is, where Stephen's house is, is actually sitting right over the top of the cemetery. So everything that's going on in this house is just done by the fact that he... They moved the headstones. The people that were going to, to visit their loved ones were visiting granite. They weren't visiting their loved ones at all. And the reason that all this crap was going on is because... Um, they never move the bodies. Yes, they only move the headstones. They never move the bodies. Of course, you know the like, cue the dramatic music. Yeah, because most bosses would sit there and go, "Don't." But <laughs> how did you find that out? They found me. They found me out. Damn it! So anyway, everything's going all over the place. There's, there's, you know, the whole neighborhood is watching this crap go on. Um, you know, Stephen grabs the, jumps into the car, grabs the key, kids throw them in the car. The, the entire neighborhood is watching their house being sucked into another dimension, as in the house just basically folds in on itself and disappears yep. into a bright white light. I have a question. Yes. So they claimed that they moved the cemetery, but they only moved the headstones, leaving all of the bodies there. Yeah. Why is it only their house that this is happening in? Because that cemetery was bigger than the square footage of that one house. I guess the reason that I can see is that Caroline was born in the house and she's the closest to purity because she's untouched by, um, I don't know, maybe she's untouched by by things. I mean, I'm not saying that Robbie isn't, I'm not saying that, that Dana isn't, but it just seems that way. So she was the closest thing that they could come to wanting because as, as Tangia says, you know they uh, they crave they crave um, life. They want yeah, more life. I get that. So I don't know why it just happens the, on their but house. It doesn't explain why the entire well, neighborhood isn't being sucked in. Okay, I, I can't. I mean, I can I can say aside from production value costs. Production value is that there is a part two that it, it really explains why this all happened. But you'd have to listen to part two. All I can say is that there was something more than just a cemetery that that they were built on. But the cemetery is is the highlighting part of this whole thing. So anyway, um, they they take off from the house. The house basically folds you know folds into another dimension, and the family you see them walking towards a motel room, and they, they finally oh, finally and they're obviously they're completely exhausted. They go into the uh, motel room. The door shuts. The door opens again. And Stephen wheels out the TV as if to say, oh, no, 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 <laughs> we're not doing this shit again. No way in hell. So they, they wheel the TV out. The TV slams against the um, railing and that's the end of the movie. It cuts to credits and the lovely music. music. All right, now let's talk about the curse. So we got some we got some facts about this. Okay, so there was um, four leading actors in the trilogy that suffered deaths within six years span of the movie being released. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, the most tragic was the the girl by the name of that was actually played Dana, 
Her name is uh, Dominique Dunn. That's the older daughter. The older daughter, yeah. Um, she was brutally strangled by her ex-boyfriend and she lived for five days in a coma. Um, and she died three weeks before her 23rd birthday. Oh, how sad. She never actually got to see the um, release of the movie. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. she the, Her ex-boyfriend had actually been put onto a... Um, like a watch list as far as you know he was a he was a threat to her yeah but they never actually really enacted on it so, so obviously that worked well yeah um now in part two there was a there's a, a a character by the name of kane and we'll talk about that in part two um he passed away eight months before this the release of the part two of uh poltergeist um he never got to see the theatrical relief uh, release and he had a, a battle with stomach cancer but remember, this was all in a in a time span after the movie. I mean, yeah. before the movie was released. Yeah. Um, Will Sampson. Now that's another one. It's unfortunately in part two. I'm going to keep talking about part two. He was uh, Chief Bromden, and he he passed away due to kidney failure after a post-operative heart and lung transplant. Oh my God. Yeah. So wow. he now the biggest one that we all remember is Heather O'Rourke. Now there was a lot of conjecture, a lot of ideas that she died in part three. She had to be submerged into ice water that was actually in a car park. And they were saying that she died of pneumonia because she was in there for about 12 hours. But that actually wasn't true. So um, she was supposed to be, she was uh, undergoing treatment for Crohn's disease, but apparently it was misdiagnosed. And she died due to septic shock caused by undetected intestinal blockage. Oh my God. Yeah, um, which ruptured, releasing toxins in her body. The sad part is that the acute bowel obstruction due to congenial uh, stenosis? Stenosis. Stenosis, thank you. Um, Could have been surgically corrected if they had found it sooner. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the fact that she... And she died at age 12 years of age. Oh, that's so sad. So she, you know, once again, it's like, you know, we, we put a lot of faith in doctors and I have a lot of faith in doctors, but... It's always one of those things where people say, um, you should get a second opinion on that. Yeah. Maybe back in those days, it was like the that one opinion was fine. But yeah, so that was really, really upsetting. That she, and and that, that's the most famous one as far as... There were a couple of other... Now, as far as the curse goes, the woman who played Tangier, she actually went on record to say it's it's all fictitious. Just because these people died you know, in rather, you know small succession doesn't mean that this movie's got a curse but i am more along the lines of yeah there is something going on there was something weird about that yeah and the fact is that you've got this poor girl who's strangled by her ex-boyfriend and heather o'rourke dying i mean those two are the the ones that are the the most um prominent there is a guy that is in the movie pardon me um he you only see him for about or what it would say about 15 seconds he's one of the construction workers that he's seen um eating some of their food through their kitchen window uh 12 years 12 to 14 years after the release of the movie he's um he was actually brutally murdered by a home invader that was actually stealing his car um and ended up by just basically um getting shot and killed so whether that is part of the whole ethos as far as the mythology of this movie goes i don't know but i think that was that's probably the most you know, upsetting part about it is Heather O'Rourke. Yep. So that's basically the movie. So, I mean, as far as scales of, of one to five, one being absolutely terrible and five being absolutely wonderful, um, I've always say I would give this a, a 4.5. No, I was thinking more of a 3.5. Really? Yeah. 
3.5 because I I think this is I mean now obviously as sick technology goes through and as more jump scares and things like that um it's I can watch it in the middle of the night middle of the day doesn't really bother me yeah, but well, that's you. I know. I'm I'm weird when it comes to horror movies, but yeah, and, he's, and just, he's just weird anyway. Don't let him fool you. And you'll hear about more often because when I do more horror movies, sitting here by myself talking about them, you'll just know just how weird I am. <laughs> but I I find this really enjoyable. It's one of those movies where you can sit back, relax, like him because I'm actually a horror fan, and enjoy this movie. But you know, it 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 lends itself to the unknown. I think that's the same way as. Um, the Exorcist. It's something that we deal with. It's not like a monster like Freddy Krueger or Jason or Michael. That th- this is something that you can't see. That's that's you can't touch. That you can't um look with your own eyes. It's yeah. something within our realm of. It feeds on that fear of the unknown. It is, and it, it feeds on that fear of going into your kitchen of a nighttime and hearing a, a noise behind you. Mm. And not knowing what it is, or you know, and you, and you lay in bed and you hear something happen in your house, and you sit there and go, "Oh, um, yeah, that's the house settling." That's why for two weeks after I saw the nun, I couldn't go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and look in the mirror above the sink. That's a movie that I will um, review, and it is one of the most depressing movies because they could have actually done that movie so no, much no, better. Not the, the 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 other one, the first appearance of the nun. Oh, the Conjuring Part Two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that yeah that, that actually ma- yeah that made me. it that made it more terrifying because you didn't know what was going on. But it's things also like the Amityville um, horror. Yeah. You know, it's the it's the feel of the unknown. But anyway, okay. I'm doing a, a four point five on that one. I actually like that one. All right, so coming up for our next official episode. Because this go- was just happens to be a, a, a um, yes, bonus. A, a bonus. We're going to be doing a movie called Birdemic. We're not going to tell you a whole lot about it here because trust me, you're going to want to hear the entire episode. Let's just say it gives Plan 9 a run for its money. Oh, and then some. <laughs> if anyone says after we preview Birdemic... Uh, we really want to hear your, your ideas. Yeah, we really want to hear hear your comments on that one. Yeah, because Birdemic is... I'm actually not even going to spoil it. Yeah, let's let's wait until next We time. are going to talk about this. But that's our next official one on when? The 19th. The 19th of April. 19th of April is going to be our next official one. All right, so we look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Home Class Movie Chat with Cat and Paul. Opening music by Blue Mount Score and closing music by Tim Moore. Both can be found courtesy of Pixabay. We hope you enjoyed yourself today and will join us next time. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review on the platform where you listen to this podcast.